seek above all for a game worth playing. Daniel Cumming. For the past year, I've been laying the foundations for a school of yoga and magic. Some might say that it's a bit of a weird combination. I would say that after 10 years of really delving deeply into both of these paths, I see more similarities and differences. And in fact, the synergy between the two works so well that although they're very similar in their practices, techniques, and even goals, they're also different enough to each offer us something unique that can help us expand our experience of ourselves and the cosmos. The ancient yogis and tantrika spoke openly of their intentions to develop supernatural abilities and powers through these yogi practices. And Alistair Crowley, probably the most famous practitioner of magic that we know of today, wrote extensively about the importance of yoga in the path of magic. It's my goal to reforge the links between yoga and magic and open up the conversation about these beautiful transformative practices. So without further ado, welcome to the official podcast of the House of Mages. Make yoga magic again. This podcast will be a really good way that I can delve deeper into concepts, ideas, explain things in a lot more detail, and actually give a really good backstory, and especially that's what this first podcast will be, because if you follow me on my socials, uh, you will have seen over the last like year or year or two, I've been just you know, touching base here and there on little parts of my story of how I got into magic and how I got into yoga. And it's especially re- relevant now because I'm building this and I, I feel like I really need to explain why it's such an important project because even though I've only really been building it the last year or so, um, you know, the foundations of it really started probably about 10 years ago when I started properly practicing magic and getting into it. And really for the last four or five years, I've wanted to create this, but didn't think that I had the means to. Um, But some synchronicities have happened over the last year or two and yeah, really pushed me into creating it. And yes, I was right. It has been (laughs) such a big project and way bigger than I could have ever imagined, but also just very doable. And it's been really exciting and I've learned so much about myself. So yeah, I guess I want to start here um, with yeah how I got into magic and um, yeah kind of ha- kind of how I was led into creating this. So I guess you know as a as a child I was always interested in you know wonder and um, yeah just just figuring out what the world is. I used to like taking things apart and rebuilding them and just unraveling what what something is, what the essence of something is. But the thing is, I was never really around magic. I guess I was kind of raised as like the 
usual Christian-ish way, though I never really went to church. Um, I was raised by my mum, and yeah, she was kind of semi-religious, but yeah, not no actual practice of any of the religions. And you know, as time went on, I I started to look at things, and it just didn't add up for me. Um, and I remember one distinct conversation I had with. Uh, my main high school girlfriend when I was about 16 or 17. And I remember saying to her, you know, you know, we got into a little argument about it and it was quite like a, like a, like a split moment. Like I, I, it was just such a conscious moment for me when I was talking to her and I said, you know, don't you ever uh, think about it? Don't you want to know what the world is or what the universe is or the cosmos is? And, um, you know, try to figure it all out and what what happens when you die and, you know, don't you ever think about that because I think about it a lot. And I remember her saying, uh, you're never going to find out, so why would you bother thinking about it? Why would you bother wasting your time on it? Because you're never going to find out. And she's just, with so much conviction, she just had no interest in discussing it or, or even contemplating it. And I remember just, like, feeling so alone and so weird um, at the time and... Yeah, we. I mean, I was still with her for a couple of years after that. And so I kind of like, you know, push it down because at the time, my friendship circle, yeah, none of the people I was hanging around with really contemplated that sort of stuff. It just wasn't wasn't in my circle. And so I kind of looked into it in ways in my own way. Um, you know, there's a long, you know, a lot of long nights just trying to find information on the internet, um, you know, kind of reading like the Old Testament, New Testament, um, even delving into the Quran, Scientology, um, a lot of the mainstream, mainstream like mainly Abrahamic religions, I guess, because I just didn't know where to look. And I think that's the issue as well. When people are, they want something more, they want something, you know, a connection with the divine or connection with the unseen or the unknown. Um, and we only really can look at or, or find information in, in what we know about. Uh, so, you know, the internet can be good for linking things, but at the time I didn't really know where to start looking. Um, so yeah, I was just looking in the mainstream religions and nothing really resonated with me. And I kind of stopped looking for a while until I ended up, I think I was about 21 and I ended up going home with a girl that I met at a nightclub and she, the next day, she was explaining to me, I don't even know how we got onto the subject. Oh, because she had, right, she had um, these drawings all over her walls. And then I asked her about them because they're amazing, like some of them really dark and all really fantasy-like. And she explained that she can draw her dreams and that um, we started talking about dreams and then she started talking to me about these dreams where, um, you know, sometimes you get strangled um, uh, by, like, these spirits and things and we started talking about spirits uh, and so she grew up in, in Cambodia, um, the girl that um, I was with that that time. And she explained that, like, yeah, spirits were just a part of her her everyday existence growing up. And, you know, living in Australia now, she, yeah, she still kind of ha- has those beliefs. But everything felt so real for her. And the way she could explain it was um, even that there's spirits there at the time and, and her connection with that, it was just so... Um, not in my paradigm, not in my belief system, but I wanted it to be. I wanted so bad for something outside my, you know, I guess atheistic point of view um, to exist. And so she felt so grounded 
um, you know, I know it sounds superficial, but she was, you know, like a, a well-grounded, like um, successful, very attractive girl, woman, like um, who, uh, yeah, I was very attracted to and who seemed so grounded in every other aspect of her life, but yet she was speaking with such conviction about these spirits. So I, she only came into my life very fleetingly, like very, it was just a short little fling, a very casual type of thing. And she sparked something in me that led me on, I guess, this ghost hunting expedition for the next year where I was trying to find all the information that I could about how to get in touch with spirits. And I did everything from, you know, knocking in the corners of um, my bedroom at certain times of the night to, you know, going out to like a graveyard in the middle of Brisbane at like 3.33 in the morning (laughs) on a foggy evening and then laying down, like face down on the ground to to breathe in a certain amount of times. And then apparently when you stand up after breathing in the fog, uh, you can see the spirits None of it worked. Um, I mean, at least not in an obvious way. I, you know, never saw anything. Um, I, I did have one instance of a dream that was really freaky. I remember waking up with like sleep paralysis. It was like the first time I ever ever had anything like that. And um, I remember waking up and the room being completely different. Like it was the room was hadn't been lived in 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 long, 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 long time. And this thing was just like moving towards me. And I like, I remember trying to yell and nothing coming out and kind of being awake, but then also asleep. It was really, really weird and super freaky. But yet (laughs) I was, you know, I was partly, I was just dedicated to finding something, but also a lot of the time I didn't believe in any of this sort of stuff. Like I, you know, was very into psychology and, and very into delving into the human psyche and kind of just categorized everything that was happening as aspects of my own psyche um, because I wanted something real and tangible, I guess. And I guess the word real was um, yeah, all about objectivity so I can touch it, I can see it, smell it, all these sort of things. And so, yeah, nothing just fulfilled that. Nothing satisfied my curiosity enough for me to believe in, in, yeah, in any of that sort of stuff. And that, yeah, kind of faded off after a while. And I kind of gave up. I guess I just was agnostic slash atheist. I, you know, I didn't really believe in anything uh, outside of the five senses, but I wanted to. And I was, you know, always hoping that something would, uh, yeah, would change my mind on that. So fast forward to I was about 23, 24-ish years old. I was producing music. So I had a kind of like part-time sales job and I was producing my own music. Um, mainly hip hop and producing for local artists, and I'd made like a little little CD up, little album, um, like showcasing some of the artists that I produced for. And I used to go around shopping centers and I was selling them. And I met this man who who bought a CD, and he, he you know, after he bought a CD, he said, "Oh, I'm really interested in in getting involved in hip hop, and I, like I've always wanted to like learn how to do it myself. Can we can we catch up and chat?" And yeah, I said, of course. We we caught up and chat. I remember him pulling up. He had a um he had a skyline and and some skyline and yeah, just kind of dressed well. Obviously had money. Um, you know, I met some of his friends who all seemed like quite you know normal and you know and and again, this is like my old self. So you have to understand that you know even though I call this normal, it's just what my normal was. And I guess I was so skeptical about things and um yeah, just wasn't 
exposed to this sort of stuff. And I, I guess when I say, you know, normal, it's we believe in things from people that we give authority to. And I guess at my level, when I was like deep in doing a lot of sales work, people that were, you know, I gave authority to were people who was like financially successful, right? Who, um, you know, who, yeah, had money, who spoke well, who were charismatic, who, um, yeah, had like, you know, friends and, um, you know, who like, especially in men who like hang out with attractive women, you know, again, super, super superficial, but that was just where I, where I was at at the time in my life. And so he had all these kind of things. And one day out of nowhere, he started talking about magic and I didn't know what he, what he meant. And so like he ended up just telling me about these books um, and he meant, so not magic as in card tricks and, and all that sort of stuff, even though I have a, you know, a great respect for those arts and double with them myself. And I think there is a link there a little bit, but I, when I mean magic, I mean like spells and people, what people would call witchcraft um, and doubling with the unseen and spirits and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, a lot of things that people would say to stay away from, but, yeah, so this guy started talking to me about all these thing practices that he'd done. He'd um, summoned spirits. He dabbled with all these different magical system. He had um, yeah, dabbled with runes. And so he, I, you know, he obviously asked if I was interested in learning, and I was just so excited. Like there was a big part of me that lit up, and this flame that ignited, and I, I just thought, wow, this could this stuff be real? But there was also a huge part of me that was just like this niggling voice at the back of my mind saying, this guy is just nuts. Um, there's no reality in this. But I, I wanted to try. So, you know, I I asked for a book and I said, what, you know, what book should I get? And I just said, I'm really skeptical. Something you could give me that would, you know, help with that. And he gave me a book, which I actually have right here, called Hermetic Magic by Stephen Edred Flowers. PhD. So the PhD was a really good thing for me at the time because I was so skeptical. So, you know, I saw the PhD and saw it was kind of like a scholarly-ish work and I was like, okay, well, you know, at least then I'll get some grounded information on it. And the book started by giving a history and, um, yeah, really started to elaborate on where these ideas came from, especially hermeticism, hermetic magic. And it was cool because they, they spoke about um, Egyptian and Greek history um, and the ancient papyri. And, yeah, it, like appeals. I, I was always interested in ancient history and ancient cultures. So it appealed to me. And, you know, I said, you know, at least I'm going to be learning something from it. And so I read through the book and I was excited. It, like, opened up new avenues for me. But I was still so skeptical. And so, like, they had some of the transcribed uh, magical papyri in the back. And I just thought, well, I got nothing to lose. If this really is real, then show me something. And I think I was at that point in my life where I felt like this was, like, my last my last call out to the universe before I kind of gave up the search. I guess I ne- probably would have never given up, but I just that's what I felt like. I was like, look, universe, I've been, like, searching for so long if there is anything out there that, um, you know, is listening that is more than, um, you know, just the five senses, like, answer me now. And I remember just doing this basic little invocation. It was, like, the most simple spell I could do where I just sat on my bed. Um, I think I, like, 
maybe lit a candle or something like that and just just focused all my willpower and all my emotion just called out to the universe and then I went to sleep and I had a dream that night that I was in this dark room, no features of the room I could notice, but there was a man and a woman. I'm pretty sure the the woman was kind of in front of me to my left a little bit and the man was off to the right a little bit. So the man had like a wide brim hat and he kind of had his face down. I couldn't really see. Like, I don't know if he had a beard or not a beard. I can't really remember. Every time I think of it, it kind of looks different. The woman had a box. It was this wooden box that kind of looked like a little cigar box. And she put two snakes into this box. And I remember her saying that these were the two most venomous snakes in existence. So she closed the box. And then when she reopened it, this smaller snake came out. And I remember saying, oh, like there's only one snake now and it's smaller. Like, why did that happen? She said that even though that's the case, this one is just so much more potent now. So it's even even more potent than both of them combined. And now this is the most venomous snake in, in existence. And right at that moment, it bit me on my left wrist. And I remember the like the pain. I remember the feeling of the, its teeth sinking into my wrist. And I remember like the shooting terror that flooded my body and just the, f- the feeling that I was going to die, that like that was absolutely it. Um, and I remember like moments passing that seemed, seemed like forever. And, and then just saying, oh, I, I didn't die. I didn't die. And then like the lady um, looked at me like surprised, like, wow, you didn't die. And then I think it was the first time in that whole dream that the man kind of glanced at me. He didn't show much emotion, but he kind of glanced at me. And um, then I woke up and my wrist was red and throbbing. And I freaked out, of course, and went to the bathroom, you know, wash my face, wash my hands and um, wrists. And yeah, kind of just settled a little bit and went back to sleep and Anyway, on the, I was catching the train into the city in Brisbane on the way to work and I was thinking about it and I was like, ah, oh, you know, it could have been a spider or something that bit me in, like, in the middle of the night and, um, you know, just trying to make sense of it. It could have just affected my dream and that would have, you know, explained the redness, uh, the pain. Anyway, there was these three kind of older ladies, looked like they were kind of like dressed up to go for, for a brunch or something like that. Um sitting on the train because there's these seats on, on trains, right, that have four seats facing each other. There was three ladies next to me. And they got off and le- up and left at a stop. And I looked, glanced over to my left where they were sitting. And I noticed it, and I swear it was where one of these ladies was sitting. There was a perfect big S shape made out of instant n- noodle flavoring, which was so so strange. But I swear the lady was sitting on one of them. Anyway, so I, I got up and moved over to these seats and just stared at it. I took a picture of it. I still got it somewhere. And it's this perfect S made out of, you know, like instant noodle flavoring. Strangest thing. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is strange. So then I think like a day or two later. So I think at the time I was, I just moved out of a place I was, I was living at. 
Um, and I, I was staying with my mum for a little while. I think I was staying with her for a few weeks until I found a new place. And she she just said, yeah, of course you can stay, just you know, help clean up some stuff. And there, there's this tiny little shed out the, out the back of the house. Um, and she asked me to clean, clean it out a little bit. And I had a friend with me who was helping me clean. And I remember just being there and he just going, bro, just, just stop, don't move. And he's like, back up and look up. And I looked above me and just hanging from this low hanging beam was this python. It must've been like six, seven foot, um, just staring at me. I mean, it was, oh, it was <laughs> like at least like half a meter away, like a few feet away, maybe closer, um, just staring me dead in the eyes. And so I, that's a, that's the house I grew up in, um, my mom's house. And I don't think there was ever a snake there. My mom, I asked my mom if there's ever been a snake there. She said there was like one little snake when I was a, like a little kid um, that showed up when I was like only a few years old, old or something. So it wasn't an unusual occurrence to have snakes there. So yeah, just all those things, um, just it, it was enough to shake my reality enough to chip away at my wall of skeptability that I'd put up. And I think that's that's what happens with with magic, synchronicity. You know, a lot of these things from the outside, like they might not mean much to anybody, but to me, it was exactly what I needed to experience in order to warrant delving into this more. And so after that, I was like, okay, universe, I'm open. What else have you got for me? And like, I mean, I've had like weird synchronicities, like pretty epic ones since, but they haven't, they're very rare. And I think once you start to delve into it, you you need those things less and less. And it's only at certain times in my life, which I've needed like the big reminder because it's shattered my reality. But a lot of these things are quite subjective. And so sometimes we need reminders that this this stuff is 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 real. So after the snake dream and all these weird coincidences, I was ready to give this magic thing a little bit more validity and look into it more. So I went back to the guy who gave me the book and yeah, basically said, you know, where do I go from here? What what more can I read? What more books can you give me? Uh, because, you know, as much as Hermetic Magic was such an amazing book and this is still, it is a bit of a scholarly work and underpins like a whole system, but the actual practical spells in it are quite complicated and difficult and... Yeah, I just I just needed something to yeah, a little bit different. And I'm glad I asked because he gave me two books. And one of them was a book called The Nine Doors of Midgard, which is a whole book on runes and essentially a whole school and a whole system and curriculum on rune magic. And yeah, it was written by Edward Thorson, which coincidentally was a different pen name of the same author who wrote the first book I read. And the Rune Guild which is the school, the main school that I study under these days, is actually an amazing esoteric school um, and magic school and, and school of runes. So I, I will do another podcast on that later. You'll hear lots more about that. But the other book was a book on ceremonial magic by Joseph Lazowski. And it, again, was a very scholarly book. Um, and it gave the history of the process of ceremonial magic and spiritual evocation. Now, for those who don't know what that is, it's essentially old school 
kind of hermetic, I guess, but I, I think it was like old school medieval grimoire magic. So when you think of, you know, someone sitting in a, like a circle with all these, like, you know, signs and letters and names and like this magical circle and a triangle and, you know, conjuring up a spirit, like that is ceremonial um, magical evocation in particular. So I will come back to my experience in those practices with all that kind of stuff soon, but I want to try to keep on track with um, what was happening around the same time, kind of in chronological order, because a lot was happening at once. So as all this was happening, I was being introduced to this concept of magic. I had the snake dream. Right at the same time, I had started um, dabbling in martial arts, and I kind of had tried a few different martial arts before, um, when I was younger, but never really stuck with anything. And I went to a few classes of, of Tai Chi and, and Kung Fu with a friend of mine who was training with this, with this teacher. And I met the teacher and he said, if you're interested in being serious and dedicating some time, like, you know, some serious time to learning Kung Fu to come down and do like a trial, trial session with him on the beach. So he had a private group. There was probably only about six or seven um, people in that group, which he trained on the beach down the Gold Coast, which was about an hour and a half drive from where I was living in Brisbane at the time. And so I made my way down there one Friday night and expected like a really cool, you know, martial arts class. And they were training on the beach. It was like beautiful. There was like a, nearly a full moon. And he just said, Are you, so you're serious? So you obviously come down here. Are you serious about learning Kung Fu? And I said, yeah, I'm serious. He's like, great. He's like, stand like this, set me up in a, in a horse stance. So a horse stance is kind of like a little mini squat position with your arms out. He set me up and he said, cool, that looks good. Don't move for the next two hours. If you move, you can go home. He said, if you stay the two hours, I'll train you. And I kind of like, you know, laughed and stuff like that. I thought he was just like messing with me, but he was dead serious. And like, it just like, it kind of like kicked in that this guy is serious. And I was like, how am I going to stay like this for two hours. Like I've been in this position for like a minute and my legs are already starting to get a little bit wobbly. So I did it. Um, I, it was like this experience that showed me the power of, you, you know, the human will or my will when I really wanted to do something over the human body. And that's what it was really about. Like, you know, one earning the right to train but also just showing you because he was very much into, I guess, well, he didn't really use the, the term magic. Uh, he did a couple of times, but really the power of, um, yeah, the conscious will over the body. So it was interesting that at the time where I was being introduced to magic and all these concepts that I was really starting to to learn these, you know, embodiment techniques. And so he became a really good mentor for me, obviously like learning Kung Fu and, and all that sort of stuff. But I was introduced to breath work. I was introduced to meditation. Um, he he got me to quit smoking cigarettes. At the time, I was drinking a lot, partying a lot, smoking cigarettes a lot. And he basically, yeah, got me to quit cigarettes, um, quit going and partying all the time. You know, I still obviously went out and had fun, but I was just, I had another goal. Uh, and that was, yeah, I guess to to impress him and to really get my health and body on track, which up until that point, I'd really neglected. Um, so yeah, th this was, you know, when I was about 23 years old that I started doing that. And so not only was the martial arts aspect of it and the discipline 
of it, but it was the meditation because every day I would do probably about 20 to 30 minutes of horse stance. And so while I, while I was doing that, I was doing this breath pattern that he taught me, which was to the three, three, six, three. So it was breathe in for three, hold for three, out for six, hold for three, breathe in for three, hold for three, out for six, hold for three. And so I was doing that pretty much every day consistently and and med- like without knowing it being introduced to meditation so that became like the starting point because you know i remember him saying to me um something along the lines of you know the martial arts will make you a good fighter but the the horse stance and what he meant by that like the meditation and the breath work he's like that stuff will make you a jedi like that stuff will make you a wizard because he kind of knew what i was into and yeah, that really struck a chord with me. And I I started practicing that nearly every day. So while all this was happening, so I was, you know, starting to delve into martial arts and meditation. I was, you know, devouring books on magic. The third part of this, because everything works in threes, right? <laughs> was that I, I, I'd met a girl. Um, so I was out at a nightclub one evening. And I was with, you know, this, this guy who um, was, had been giving me books, although I didn't really tell my other friends about it. It was kind of like this um, little secret between us because I just didn't think they'd, they'd understand. Um, but it was another one of my friend's birthday. So we went out with, for his birthday and there was a group of us. And I noticed this girl in, on the dance floor in this nightclub that I was at in Brisbane. And she just gave me this look. So when I'd first met the the girl who spoke to ghosts and kind of got me inspired and all that sort of stuff. I remember seeing her in a similar way. Um, I was at a nightclub and it was just that kind of like mischievous, cheeky look. And like, it was just like she was saying, come and play. But it was like something out of this world as well. Um, I don't know if anyone's experienced like, like the eyes, you know, there's a reason why they call them doors of the soul because like they really can, anyone who's done eye gazing, it's, it's a very, yeah, out-of-body experience, but also very in-body experience at the same time. I don't know if this is making sense. But anyway, so it was that same look that I had from that other girl um, of the eyes. You know, very different-looking girl, but the same kind of look in the eyes. And I remember thinking, no, I'm not here to meet meet a girl. I'm here to spend time with my my friend for his birthday. And so I was like, bro, I'm going to go get, you know, another couple of drinks for us. So I started heading to the bar and it was a big club. And so where the bar was, was pretty much the other end of the club to where she was on the dance floor. I don't know what happened. Like I hadn't drank that much, honestly. (laughs) Like I'd only had like one or two drinks by that stage. And I just remember heading for the bar, getting kind of like lost in the crowd because it was so busy. And then Suddenly, I was dancing with her and her two friends, and we just clicked. Like I was, like I really liked hip hop and dancing, and so did she. And like we were just dancing really well. But then, pretty soon into the dance, she like kind of like grabbed me, and she's like, "Hey, do you want to go somewhere and chat?" And so we went to this little little nook of the club, um, and she she just grabbed my arm, and she's like, "What? You know." what's this tattoo? And so I've obviously missed that part of the story. So I actually ended up getting a, uh, a tattoo of the snake that happened in my dream on the arm and it's actually biting my wrist. So if you're watching the video here, so I'm recording the video at the same time I'm doing this podcast. So if you want to see the video I'm showing. Um, so I got that tattoo because the guy who um, 
gave me the book, actually got a big bonus at his job, which I ended up working at later, which I'll get to soon. So many pieces of this puzzle all at once happening. Um, and that's what the interesting thing, it all happened at once. So the guy got a bonus uh, from his job and said he was going to go get a tattoo. And I'd already had a couple of tattoos by then and asked if I wanted one. And instantly, like my whole body just said, yes, I want the snake. I need a reminder that this stuff is real because I'm going to forget about it and I'm going to go back to my skepticism. I like I believe in this so strongly that this is important that I'm going to get it tattooed on my arm. So that that was how how dedicated I was to like pursuing this this world of like this path of magic and like really reminding myself that there was something in this that um yeah that was important um so yeah i i had the tattoo or recent tattoo done on my on my left arm and she grabbed my arm and like kind of like what's this well you know why do you have this tattoo and at the time i was quitting smoking because i was doing the kung fu and i all my friends that i used to hang out with used to drink a lot and smoke cigarettes a lot so whenever i go out with them they'd all smoke and they'd kind of try to encourage me to smoke again as as good friends do who you don't want to give up their smoking and it probably is like you know triggering for them to see <laughs> see me giving up anyway i had these lollipops they're called chopper chops and they're just these these like candy lollipops and so i had a pocket of them because every time that my friends would have a cigarette or if i craved one i would just have one of these lollipops and so they all kind of fell to the ground um and yeah, and she kind of like, she's like, what are these? And pick one up. And I, as she bent over on the kind of like side of her hip was this tattoo. And it was a tattoo of a, of a pentagram. And it had all these little, um, like little additions to it. Like, so there's like this little broomstick and a cat, uh, a little black cat next to the broomstick and a mushroom and all these little things. And like this Virgo sign, if you follow me on my socials, it will all be in writing and more in depth there. Um, but I'll just touch on it here. But anyway, it was just such a coincidence because obviously like that was linked to magic for me, the pentagram, such like the cliched, obvious thing of magic. But I know there's the idea that we, we tend to notice things that we're looking for, right? So, you know, you buy a red car, you'll see red cars everywhere. But I, I swear I've never really noticed people with pentagrams or it didn't show up much. And right at that time, that girl, um, with a pentagram and yeah. And so, I said to her, I was just like, do you practice magic? And she just looked at me like it was the most obvious thing in the world. And she's like, of course, don't you? And I don't know, it just rocked me. And I, because, yeah, <laughs> I like just to this moment, I was just dumbfounded that she was speaking of this like it was such a normal thing. And obviously we hit it off ended up uh, moving in with her, like like all these synchronicities. I was with her for like six months before I moved in with her um, because her, she was living with her parents at this apartment in Brisbane. They were moving away um, and like they didn't know what to do with the place. Um, so I ended up renting it from them um, because they were just renting it and they wanted to pass on the lease. Uh, it was perfect. The place was like in the middle of the city up on this hill with this epic balcony facing north with this huge, amazing mango tree. It was beautiful right next to it. And like some of the practices that I started doing, you had to face north and you do these full moon things, which I'll explain another time, but it was just perfect. And right at that time as well, the guy who I'd met who was um, quite successful and, you know, introduced into magic, he ended up having an opening at this sales company that he was working with. And so I started working there. And so I just started making insane amounts of money at this job where I got to chat to this guy about magic all the time in the breaks, 
where I was like starting really like delving into all this sort of stuff. I, I could like look up books online and, and buy them. I w- had a girlfriend who was like, would give me this like intuitive, insane advice. Like she was quiet most of the time about certain things, but if I'd touched on something, she would elaborate on it. So I might be like, oh, I, I just realized this or this like, this is like a cool concept. And then she'd be like, oh, that's really good that you figured that out. And did you think of it this way? And she'd just give me more. Like there's a saying like like a word leads to another word. And I would figure something out about the cosmos or myself and she would just kind of elaborate on it. Um, she was just strange, like like gorgeous girl that was like just really uh, quirky and would, would say this thing that like um, she would say that this is her last incarnation on earth and it was just strange to me she's like yeah i've just been here enough times this is i've just got you know stuff to do here this last time that's important but then i'm i'm done um and it was just the weirdest thing that i'd heard someone say anyway i'm, I'm rambling now but i think there's this importance because if you follow me on my socials like and you you're following my story depending on how far i've got with it at this point you probably see a theme that you know and I, i've talked about the the idea of the scarlet lover and I've learned a lot about my romantic through my romantic romantic relationships. And anyone who's been in a romantic relationship, especially like one that like really potent and magical, you learn so much through it. And that has been a big theme for me that my lovers have taught me so much about myself and about through my magical path. And yeah, different people have like different pillars of of where they learn from and um that they've got their most growth from. And yeah, I've like had resistance to talking about it, especially in written, because it just seems like I'm just talking about, you know, these these women or these lovers that I've had just for the sake of it. But they've been so important um, to my growth. Um, and some of them I'm still like in amazing touch with. And um, yeah, so I'll delve into that again. Another um, point I... I, I I talked more about the Scarlet Lover concept in another talk that I gave, which I'll end up linking in this podcast as well later. So throughout all this that was happening at once, the main thing that was missing or that I wanted so badly was a group to, I guess, practice this with. So yes, even though I did have this guy to talk to about it, he said he didn't practice magic anymore. Even though he was really interested in it, it was more like an intellectual thing for him because from what I'd said, you know, like about um, his practices, he just didn't want to dabble in it anymore. Um, Partly because, like, I think some of it he thought was bad, but also he claimed he'd gotten to a point where he didn't need to practice anymore. And, you know, at the time I thought he was right, um, but as uh, time went on, I realised, like, how he'd kind of, I guess, deluded himself a little bit and how powerful he was because he, he did have a lot of, like, things successfully, but he was quite negative and, yeah, a lot of what he what he kind of said didn't add up towards the end and um, I'm not in touch with him anymore. I think he's actually gone a little bit off the rails uh, in a lot of different areas. Um, but it, it does show, like, I guess the dangers of magic, which I do want to touch on early, Um and that can be, you know, some people say that, like, it's actually the magic itself, but it's really not learning about yourself enough because it can it can really imbalance your psyche because you're essentially changing your whole view of the world. 
and you can get, you know, uh, drunk on power, thinking you're like a, a god or, you know, invincible and that you have all this power and you can do anything you want and there's no, you know, um, no one that can stop you doing that. Um, and that can be, uh, I guess, a real thing that you can get a lot of power. Some people think they have a lot more power than they than they do and delude themselves. Um, some people just get really unbalanced because, and I think that's why it's important now that, that I'm building this house of majors and this school, that people can bounce ideas and get feedback and also have people checking in on them, right? Keeping them accountable. And I think accountability is a really important part because you can get so in your head and so in like la-la land with magical practices that if you don't have someone checking in on you, calling you on your stuff and, and making sure that you are still grounded in reality and what that even means, then you can really go into your own fantasy world and, and um, lose touch with reality. And that can be a very real danger with any spiritual practices. If you go too inward, then you can lose, yeah, lose the grip on reality and with society in general. And sometimes that's an important part to withdraw to like, you know, take away other people's perspectives and whatever other people have said the world is so you can make up your own mind about what the world is. But also I think it's important to have like, you know, be in contact with other travelers on a, on a similar path so they can be like, hey, man, like you've, you know, a bit funny around this area and this doesn't really make a lot of sense and you're saying that you're doing this but yet, yet this is happening and it doesn't add up and um, all these kind of things. So, yeah, two things here. Like the there wasn't anyone that I could bounce ideas off that was on, a, I guess, a similar path to me. But also, even though I did have like books that gave a curriculum, I really like preferred to learn person to person, like orally, like oral traditions, like passing on via the word and spoken word. And I was really missing that. And I wished that there, that there was like a school that I could hang out with or even online that I guess um, had videos because I, I learned so much better through like demonstrations. And so a lot of these rituals I was reading about and I was like, wow, these are really elaborate rituals and I don't know if I'm like saying this right or doing the right thing, pronouncing it right. And I just didn't have anyone to talk to about these sort of things. And, you know, I guess that had its positives because I really had to like learn by myself and like really um, delve into a lot of these things and try a lot of these different techniques. But um, yeah, I think that's what was really missing. And now building this this magic school, um, I can I can have that now um, for I guess for myself, but also for other people who are going through a similar path. And um, yeah, this can be available and a community around that as well. So on the other side of that, <laughs> at the time because I didn't really have anyone, I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to find people around me. Like there'll be people here in the city that like, you know, practice like secret majors and, and, you know, um, they're out there. I've just got to find them. And so I started looking, like I looked up on, um, like just, just, uh, local internet sites and stuff. Um, if people were advertising like pagan get togethers or, you know, like witch groups or anyone really, I ended up finding, so one of them, I found this like pagan get together, which was for like a midsummer thing. Um, and yeah, it was just this group of people who were kind of like dressed kind of medievally and basically they just set up a pole and dance around it. And, and you know, it was fun and nice people, but 
like I was like, oh, who's your leader? Like, who's your organizer? Because I was like, is anyone practice runes? Is anyone like practice magic and all this sort of stuff? And and they're like, most of them are like, oh, not really. We just kind of like we have like crystals and we have do these things, but like none of us really like practice like dedicated. Um, and then I. I was like, I'm really into runes. Does anyone knows about runes? And like, oh, the people, that, the guy that organized this knows runes really well. And so I ended up chatting with him and he had a, like a thing of crystal runes, but he only used them like very rarely. And yeah, I, I guess because I'd like devoured a lot of information from the books and I knew the history of where all these things came from and um, understood like the concept of practices and, and yeah. And, and a lot of these practices in these books very systematic so like first you kind of like train your physical body and um you know then you get like train your mental and then intuitive and then you like start to work magic and i guess i i saw it as like a systematic approach to to mastery and yet a lot of these people just just saw it as like dressing up and, and dancing around a pole and saying they're a pagan and i don't know i guess i started to realize that there was you know people that were into paganism wasn't weren't necessarily magicians and when i say magicians people that actively practice magic so i believe that you can practice magic and really not have any beliefs outside of your own personal existence um and you don't have to subscribe to any like paradigm or pantheon or religion um because yeah you're just testing out ideas and seeing what works and and that's why with the House of Mages and especially ritual embodiment, which is the yoga school side of it, is trying to keep it as simple and practical and what paradigm neutral as possible. So I, I, paradigm neutral is this idea that like, so Christianity would be a paradigm, right? It's a belief system. You have deities, you have a belief in the cosmos. Um, you know, even Hinduism would be a paradigm, like Norse mythology would be a paradigm. And so, Everyone's got different views on what are the what this means and what mythic thinking is, but what are the essential practices that you can do that you can apply to almost any belief system and get results and and still grow as a human and grow your consciousness, uh, and that's what I'm really interested in in bringing through this this school is giving you a template to to learn how to do these practices but then it can also apply to any magical system or any belief system that you that you embark upon and that you choose to go down i don't want these podcasts to be too long each so i think i'll have to continue this story in a part two of this podcast i thought that might happen because i think that's the beauty of these podcasts is you can go on tangents and you know i'll admit i didn't really even know where to start in telling the story because there's all these different parts that connect and I try I, I wanted to bring it through in like a concise way but as I speak I think there's lots of little parts that are really essential and really important to um, to each part of the story so yeah there will be at least a part two to this so um, I will release that very soon uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast which was the first House of Mages podcast it has been such a journey and I I'm looking forward to sharing so much with you. I'm sure you've got a lot of questions because I've really just touched on a few topics and haven't really expanded upon them. I would love to hear from you and hear any questions um, because as time goes on, yeah, I would really love to hear how this is um, landing for you and um, yeah, expand upon that. And obviously we will get to the practical application of what the House of Mages is doing 
um, and how you can get involved. But for now, I will leave you with that for part one of my story. <laughs> Thank you for listening and make yoga magic again.